I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today in Pretoria is South Africa's Deputy Minister of Transport, Ms. Lydia Cindy Chikunga. She has been involved in politics since the 1980s and held various positions in many African National Congress structures, including the ANC Youth League and ANC Women's League. She has been a member of Parliament for over 10 years and served on several portfolio committees, including housing and correctional services, and chairing the Portfolio Committee on Police. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and good morning to your listeners. Deputy Minister, you've been involved in South African politics for many years and you've held various positions. Can you share with us a few of the landmarks in your career and when you realized or understood that politics would be such a big part of your destiny? I am a daughter of a Lutheran church pastor. Uh, So I grew up in an environment that is religious. But my father understood that there was something wrong in South Africa. And from time to time, as we pray and as we sit together, he will share with us the abnormalities that existed then in South Africa. The fact that we were staying alone as blacks and many of the people at some stage surrounding us would be working in the farmers' houses and farm uh, areas and sometimes paid nothing and and we therefore grew up understanding a little bit that there was something wrong with what was happening in South Africa even if we were too young to really grasp and understand exactly what that was so when we went to school um, primary I went to primary school it was in a church and it was a lower primary school up to standard four. And all classes were in that church. So you had multiple classes in happening one. simultaneously in one exactly. venue? Exactly, with only two teachers. You can imagine how that must have been dis- disturbing, but we, we had to do it because it was the only school that we had. And then from grade, I mean, standard four, you'd then proceed to standard five. You go away from home to stay elsewhere. So I went to Epangwen to stay with a white German family. Uh, They were missionaries. Um, And that is why I can actually greet somebody in Germany, Guten Morgen, Vigetes Inan, because I learned it from them. Uh, But I was also very young at the time. So I completed my standard six and then proceeded to secondary school. So what it means is that from a very tender age, you are not at home. At the time when you should be learning from your mother how to cook, you are no longer with your mother. And when you start menstruating, you are away from home, so you don't know what is happening. As a matter of fact, when my sister-in-law was at the hospital to give birth to one of his sons, I was sent there to visit her and they made me to sleep in the area where awaiting women were sleeping and many of them gave birth at night. So what I observed being a child was that there was pain, there was blood, there was a child. So when I started menstruating, 
I had this dysmenorrhea and so it was pain. Then there was blood. Did you think I you were having a baby? I a child. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how bad it was because you are not with your mother to probably tell you as to what is happening. So you don't know. I really expected a child and I was crying because I thought I was too young to have a child. But I didn't know as to how a woman gets pregnant. All that I had seen is pain, blood, child. And that was it. <laughs> but at school, when we went to secondary or high school, we had teachers that were activists and I participated in a drama that was called Nyazisa Ngomdanami. It was a child who was working in a, for a farmer and abused by a farmer, got pregnant and, and had to run away or else the farmer was going to kill her as it was actually happening in the areas where we were. That opened my mind to say, this is it. This is what my father used to tell us. This is the abnormality. These people work in those houses. The madam works somewhere. The, ma the white madam is being driven by the farmer to work so that she is work at work for the whole day. And the farmer comes back to abuse these black women in the house. And he knows that at four o'clock then we'll drive to fetch the madam, who also is abused in her, in, in, in her own way because she'll never come home unless the farmer fetches her from work. And therefore, whatever that happens in the house, she's not there to see. Once the woman is pregnant, sent to the mountain, many disappeared. So it became very clear in my mind that this is what is happening when I participated in that drama. And for me, it said it cannot be allowed. That's when one began to participate in the structures and, and said it, these people, some whom I know for sure by name and person, who disappeared in the mountains because there were young women working in the kitchen and all that, it became very clear that it's because of this which I'm seeing and it can't be allowed to continue. Many of them were very intelligent, were with at school, but they did not exist today because of that. So that said to me, there is something very wrong in South Africa and it calls on all of us to participate, to fight the system so that those people who have capacity and potential to be better people can actually be better people. Then when I went for training uh, at Ittendale uh, Nursing College, then I joined the DCO Makiwane Youth League. It was a, a, the, actually the youth ANC Youth League, but at the time ANC was banned and anything about ANC, if you called the name ANC, would actually be, uh, be, 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 be arrested. When we were taken, one of the questions as part of the interview that was asked was to say, do you know Mandela? If you said you know Mandela, you are not taken. If you say uh, Mandela, even if you do not pronounce that you don't know Mandela, you would therefore be taken. So it was a political question asked as a way of recruiting nurses. So when we were interviewed, that question was also asked, do you know Mandela? Say, um, Mandela? Who, who is Mandela? You, you don't want to say, I don't know, or I know Mandela, because you feel like you're betraying your cause if you say you don't know Mandela. And then just that was enough, then you are taken um, in, into nursing training. And, and, and that's where we then joined the DCO Magiwane Youth League and were attending classes. And at the time, I was really active. We would use time, because at some stage, you therefore have to do home visits as part of your practicals. Instead of talking about health issues, you'll be spreading the gospel of whatever that DCO Makiwane wants you to spread. 
Uh, I remember in Marwispec, in fact, not even Marwispec, the government, whether it was a policy or whatever, but instructed principals that they must enroll all black matriculants uh, and their subjects must be enrolled at standard grade. What that meant is that no black child would go to university because your standard grade will never make you get an ex- a university exemption. And we had to go out, do door-to-door, instead of talking about health issues, to tell people and families that don't allow that to happen because what it means is that we're not going to have black children going to universities, even those universities that were meant for black people, your Ungo, Ye, and others. And it became a, a successful campaign because when those learners went to school and principals were saying, no, you're going to enroll your subjects in standard grade, and they said, no, I want the higher grade. And it was through the campaign of the DCO, Mikey One. So we now actually participating, knowing exactly that if we were found, first would be dismissed from training, and that's it. But we were doing it. But you could also preach the agenda that you were supposed to have been talking about uh, door-to-door. Yes. That, that's so brilliant in terms of the ways in which you're able to access homes and to provide the right type of messaging yeah. in order to support people moving forwards in, in the struggle. Exactly. You would actually have had a, a, a time in the history of South Africa where no child was able to go to university. No black child was able to go to university. <laughs> and, and, and we took that up as a campaign and, 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 and we ran with it successfully so. So there was huge resistance at, resistance at school. Principals saying, register. Learners saying, we're not. We want higher grade. So at that time, I was personally clear that there's something seriously wrong and I'm actively participating to fight the system that renders us useless in our own country and and not able to access anything i, I must i must also say that um at the time for a black child you'd only choose careers such as teaching i didn't want to be a teacher nursing i wasn't sure um being a clerk or a policeman those were the careers that were available to all of us if you wanted to go to uh, Vets University, for instance, you had to get a permission from the minister for you to get access to Vets University, for you to study as a doctor, and, 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 and you had to get a special permission for, for you to access that. And, and, and therefore, if you, you think you're coming from a family that would probably not know how to get all that and so on. So the easiest route was to either be a teacher, to be a nurse, to be this and that. Even that, being a nurse, you'd have to be accepted in the black-only nursing college, for instance, Eatingdale. You'd not be accepted in any other mixed racial uh, college. So it was that. But one thing good about it is that you'd then write the same examination and the training, the curriculum was the same. But you are operating from a background that is not the same because the other one that you are competing with is somebody who has received the best quality education. Resources. Exactly, and the resources. And you are seeing a laboratory for the first time at a college. Even the choice of subjects, I mean, my subjects, I wanted to study maths, so it was maths, biology, 
there was no science teacher, therefore we could not study science. Then it was geography, history, and then the languages. So the combination would not make it possible for you to study whatever that you want to study. If you don't have science, you cannot actually be a doctor or study medicine because you don't have science. You require science for you to access that. So the subjects themselves will channel you to particular uh, careers than other careers. Deputy Minister, given everything that you've shared today and this reflection on the devastation and the abnormality that our society was going through, but having lived through that and lived through a position now where people have got an equal standing or equal opportunity, do you think South Africa is in the right place to what you imagined it would be after investing those efforts to drive the change? There's, there's a lot that has changed in South Africa. The very fact that I can send my child to any school, to any teacher institution, for the very fact that today children teach us about careers, they still teach me even today about careers that I used never to know. They exist and they are there for our children to pursue. And, and, and for me that, is, that, that says this change. I mean, a big one for that matter. For the mere fact that my child can go to university and get NSFAS for the child to study and complete his or her degree or whatever diploma. For me, that is important. And that is why, personally, I value education very much. Because I know it today that the type of education that I received at primary and secondary education what difficulties I'm experiencing even today because of that education. I know for a fact. So the handicap of not having, whether it's early childhood development, whether it is being given the right type of, of nourishment, environment, exactly. subjects, has exactly. a long-term impact that you, you can probably never overcome. That you can never overcome, but you, you, you can manage to, to live with and probably achieve to say there are things that maybe it will be difficult for me to change. However, I can live. What is it that I can do in order to live normally and probably to achieve even more with those uh, handicaps? What, what is it that I can do? Probably from our side, at some stage as a family, we stayed in a very small Lutheran church family, I mean mission, surrounded by farms. It was only five households and then the rest were in the farm areas. There, there was nothing that was motivating you to go to school in any event. We went to school because we were children of the pastor. That was the only motivation. Otherwise, you complete your, primary, your lower primary school, then you have got to look for a man to marry you. That was the whole thing. And it was possible because some of our schoolmates would be at school for six months and six months they are in the farm. So they will study one class for two years. And therefore by the time they complete they are already old. So it was possible. But we're in the mission. And that we were from uh, the pastor's family motivated us. It made us to go to school, to go to secondary school. But when you come back because nobody knows as to who you are in love with, you are given names. Because if you are a woman, the, 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 the culture and the tradition is that you must have a man you are in love with and that man must be known in the community. If it's not known, then it means your character is not a good one. So we had to live with that and completed and went to secondary school. 
I still go to that community even now because it can only be somebody who stayed in that community that knows the community. It's in KZN. Nobody knows about it. Not even people go to the community when it is election time. But to develop that community, nobody knows, knows about it. I go to that community. I talk to whoever, to the municipalities to say, let's go and deliver toilets to that community. They hardly have toilets even today as we speak. But from that community... A sister was produced. That's why I started. A registered nurse was produced. And for that community, that was a huge achievement because you'd have ended up being nothing. Out of that community, a nurse educator with a master's degree was produced. So I'm not talking about the deputy minister. I'm talking about my own qualifications out of that very community. The point I will always make to young people to say, what you are today, should never determine what you will be tomorrow. You, you can change something that looks very bleak and dark and without any future and change it to be something good. Nobody, none whatsoever. I can take you there now. You can never think that out of that community, Deputy Minister of Transport for that matter, can actually be produced. But this is the deputy minister that comes from the era that is called Kopliehte, not known to anybody in South Africa, either than myself, because I did at some stage in my life lived in that community. Deputy Minister, thank you for sharing your, your personal journey, your, your story there, the, the passion and being able to, as you say, it doesn't matter where you start from, but you are able to change and direct your own life, but at the same time, inspire that community of what is possible. Exactly. Now you're Deputy Minister of Transport. And in the transport sector offline, you mentioned that South Africa has 750,000 kilometers of roads, that we are ranked 10th in the world in terms of our, our coverage area. But the transport sector tends to be a male-dominated environment. And when I looked at some stats SA data from 2014, women made up only 18% of transport sector employees. And on our show, I must say, I've been incredibly inspired by having ladies like the likes of, of Anora Fakude or uh, Kile Kwanana from busing and, and construction or some of our airline pilots, which, which really shows that women can make a mark. But is there enough being done to encourage women to pursue viable careers in the transport sector? We're doing a lot. And we're starting from a very low base. Mm -hmm. First... In the transport sector, the careers there historically were never meant for blacks. Even for men, it was white men and not white women. It was men. And that is why today we have white men that are aging. You don't have white women that are aging within the transport sector. So careers in the transport sector were meant for men and white men. So that's where you begin to say, how then do you bring first black everybody and then women whether white black whatever to bring them on board that's the first thing and the second one is that the careers in transport are not known that's another myth somebody who goes to university to study civil engineering will study civil engineering because probably people talk about it a lot but in transport you have transport engineering you have aeronautical engineering you have maritime engineering 
and people even today they still do not know about this very specific transport related carriers you have your transport logistics you have your transport management and so on courses that are very specific when you talk about for instance aviation people think about pilot and that's it and pilots in south africa are all men because they were in the main trained by the army and 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 and, and that is the air force so it was men and it continues to be men to transform that it calls for conscious decisions taken and that is what we are doing as the department we have our budget i think we are second to the department of higher education and training to fund training at a very high rate and when we do that as the department first excluding our state owned companies we then say 50% of that must be women so you've made a categorical call 50% 50% entry. of that must be women and to an extent that if you like you can even say more it, it, the 50% is the minimum requirement you can have 60% it doesn't matter but not anything less it's than interesting 50%. you say that we had an interview some time ago with um one of the delegates from Australia mm. and she said in one particular town where they were looking at the the demographic composition of their police force mm. that they saw it was just too many men yeah. and they said that for a, a particular period they were only going to take women exactly. and she said obviously there was um, kickback because you know how can you only take women she said the only way to address this change and to drive and achieve transformation exactly. is by introducing quotas so that we can exactly. fix this imbalance. Th- that's the only way. If you don't do it, it's not going to happen. Um, w- we have our uh, air traffic navigation uh, academy where we are training our air traffic controllers. We have said 50% of your intakes must be women. And we also have said from myself, maybe because I'm very attached to rural women and I've said they must include rural women and rural whatever recruits you must go to rural areas if you can't go there we'll go there for you and recruit from rural areas and specifically from farm areas as well and the farm children those that dwell in farm areas they never get access to this information they don't know these things exist so you're making sure that this is as inclusive as possible for that's, participation. That's exactly what we, we are trying to do. So we're starting from, like I've said, from a very low base. If you're talking about, for instance, aviation pilots, for instance, the figures are shocking because in South Africa, for instance, we have up to 20,000 pilots. But of those 20,000 pilots, 18,600 are white. And the majority of those, they are men. And therefore, to bring in other racial groups, it actually says... You have got at some stage to say we're not taking pilots, black, I mean white pilots. We are training other racial groups as pilots. But when you do that, the challenge in South Africa is that the academies that are training pilots are privately owned. So you can't dictate to them. Because they're commercial enterprises. Yes, they are privately owned. And that is why we are even visiting universities like the UVETS University that has a unit that is training aeronautical engineers to say to them how possible or impossible it is for you to begin to train pilots if they say yes will even as the department of transport come and say tita can you fund that program so that we begin to have institutions that are training pilots in our terms Mm -hmm. 
the minister has actually been saying, let's again look at talking to again Air Force to say, can't you continue to train uh, pilots? But of course, today it will be said the Air Force cannot train uh, pilots for commercial aviation. So you, you have all those issues, which we think it's something that we need to look into because if we continue depending on privately owned academies, we're not going to transform this industry, particularly the aviation industry. It only happens in South Africa. In other countries, even in Africa, you have a number of black pilots and we don't have a record of air crashes in those countries like we do not have in South Africa, which we're very proud of, not to have any record of air commercial air crashes. We do have challenges in the general aviation section, but even then we have put some regulations and I think we're stabilizing that. It's a, it's a standardized industry globally it is with within within that space it is can you tell us a bit more about the south african uh, network for women in transport this is one other organization that was formed by the department of transport itself it was launched on the 31st of october uh, 20, 2008 uh, it, it is south uh, south africa's network for women its aim is to provide platform for women to own companies, I mean, uh, and be part of enterprises that operate within the transport sector. It has a constitution that established it. It has membership, it has chapters, it has the leadership. Provinces have leadership at that level that accepts members to join and we have categories of membership that can join. I can join as Sindichi Kunga, Sisi, and, and, and I might be aspiring to operate in the transport sector as a company. I might already be operating within the transport sector. We might join a, as a, a cooperative, less than 10 members, and as a group, therefore, and operate within the transport sector. Uh, we might join as associate members where we are, we are a company but not operating within the transport sector. But we probably ad admire or would want to operate within the transport sector at some stage. So it's these categories of members that we can actually join in, 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 I mean, as, as members of, 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 of Sanwit. We want Sanwit to be strong and to exist because um, if we call women, for instance, I've always said it, if you call women to a, a summit and we talk about opportunities, it's Cindy, it's yourself and somebody else. After the summit, we go back to our homes and then what? And then what? But if we call them as members of Sanwit with leadership from different provinces, we say these are the opportunities. We invite your banks that must fund them to say this is what you must do. So you're bringing together a whole range of stakeholders exactly. that satisfy holistically in the industry. Exactly. So you've got the right resources in place, all at hand, that you can make things happen. And, 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 and there are people that on a daily basis are responsible for it in the form of leadership, who when we leave, they will then be able to go back to the provinces and say, 
we are members of Sanwit. These are the opportunities that we have. For instance, with the issue of rural roads, we're saying those even need to be maintained. Some will have to be paved. Who is going to make those bricks for the paving of those roads? Because indeed we have got to pave some of the roads. It will not be all of them. Who is going to make bricks for the paving, for the marking? of those roads for everything for the cutting of grass and we are saying women must do that and and, and therefore they must form cooperatives they must come as as individual group i mean uh, companies and do it through summit so that it's whoever is deciding there are people that will say you are not going to appoint just men only we are here we are companies we can do it. We are operating within the transport sector. Appoint us. So you provided the opportunity. Yes. Stead exactly what is being needed. Exactly. And they can then if move they are forward. Saying, if we are saying we have a company that is making trains here at Ekuruleni, women in Sanwit must go there and say, we will want to provide you with chairs for those trains. We will want you to provide you with whatever that you are going to use in those trains. And they can do that if they are organized. They will not be able to do it if they go there as individual companies. But if they go there as Sanwit and say, for this we demand it must belong to us, to women, then of course that will happen. Then they tender like anybody else. They follow the processes, they tender. But of course there is some set aside for women in transport that are already operating or that are joining so that they can operate within transport. And particularly with what you're saying, this is, because quite often we, we hear about these quota elements, but it'll be for the soft things, for catering, yeah. for flower arrangement. This is this is the hardcore infrastructure elements where they're going to make money out of it. Exactly. In fact, we're even looking at having companies for professionals, women who are engineers, Women who are lawyers, who must advise, who, who must be consultants mm. within the transport sector. If you're talking about Prasa, for instance, with all the billions of runs that they must spend when, uh, as, they, as they repair the infrastructure, they build the infrastructure, the signaling, making those coaches and all that. They definitely need lawyers. They definitely need engineers. They need these professional women. So we need those companies that will operate within the sector as professionals, as, as, as consultants from women. But of course you need others that will maintain those train stations, that will clean those train stations, that will provide the toilet paper in those train mm-hmm. stations. So it cannot be that we will continue to buy toilet paper from whoever. We have women that can actually make toilet paper. And that is what we are talking about when you're talking women empowerment we're talking about sunmeat being that 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 organization that on a day-to-day basis i'm sitting here right now being interviewed i'm expecting a sunmeat woman to be doing something for sunmeat when i leave this one i go to another meeting for instance so i can't be doing things for sunmeat i'm not a businesswoman but we have women that are in business that must do these things. Where they meet challenges, they need political interventions, we are there. We, we tell them, we are just a phone call away from you. We will jump when it comes to issues related to women empowerment. I think the South African Network for Women in Transport sounds like a fantastic organization that is hands-on and making things happen. 
Deputy Minister, we are unfortunately running out of time. So turning more towards a personal perspective, one of the questions I ask all my guests is about some of the things that they feel have contributed to their success. So if you could share with us what have been some of the key drivers of your success? One thing that I believe I am, I'm hardworking. Um, I wake up in the morning, I have to do something and to finish it. So whatever that I start, I must finish. I, 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 I don't like a situation where I start something and don't finish it. So anything that I start, I must finish. That for me helps. I'm hardworking, I'm God-fearing. Um, um, that makes me, again, despite all the things available to us, but not to think of stealing. Um, because in the evening, I must go to my God and say, here I am. Thank you, God, for the day. And I can't say that sitting on a stolen chair or a chair that I, I bought using the money that is stolen. I always appreciate the fact that at the end of the month, I still get a salary. That sometimes is better than the salary of other people. It's not a lot, I must say. But it, at least it enables me to live comfortably than other people. And for me, I thank God for that. I would not want to add anything. So I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with what I do. So what keeps me going is my connection with my God, is my hard working. You know, I, I tell people nursing prepares you for anything. Going to work at seven and going off at seven, seven, seven shift working prepares you for anything. When you go out and people think you are doing, you are working very hard, you might actually be feeling that I've, I've not even started. These people think I'm working hard. I've not even started as a matter of fact. I think today I was trying to take it very cool and, and they think I'm doing, I'm doing hard. And, and, and when you therefore go all out, people think you are like fire. And, and that keeps me going. My, 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 my success in life has always been about my hard working. I did it when I was a nurse. Uh, there are many, I worked, I liked working in labor ward. There are many Cindy's that I gave birth to. They are my children. Um, when you are a good nurse in labor ward, whoever woman gives birth to a child will want to name them after you because you treated them very well. That's a beautiful legacy. And, and I had quite a number of those. So when I then taught uh, student nurses, midwifery, for instance, I will cover the curriculum and go beyond that and teach them my own experiences in life to say there are things that we'll never find in any book, but that work for you in labor, what to save the life of the child. I will share with them. You, you, I, will, I will identify areas where I can give to students to study for themselves, but I will identify subjects that require me to ensure that they know. Bleeding, for instance, uh, after and before delivery, it kills many women. You will never leave it with, this, with your student midwives to study on their own because you want to be sure that every midwife that completes 
that passes through you knows exactly what to do when a woman bleeds before delivery because it threatens the life of the baby but when a woman bleeds after delivery you have just few minutes to save that life or else the woman is going to die because the bleeding is now in an empty uterus and it's pouring and 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 death can actually happen at any time and you are going to teach your mother so that they know exactly that at that time if you were flying before deliver you were running before delivery after delivery you've got to fly to save that life or else you're going to lose that woman and you can never live i mean lose a woman who is pre- because of pregnancy pregnancy it doesn't matter whether it's the 15th pregnancy should never kill a woman i always told my midwives no woman should die because of pregnancy and i like that <laughs> that's 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 that that's have been me i would work throughout the year i will I will do everything possible. So I th- I believe my strength is in my hard working. If I don't do anything, I don't work, I don't read, I don't study, I don't do extra work, then it's not me. Mm. That's a fantastic character trait. And lastly, as we close out today, could you please give us a few words of inspiration that you'd like to share with young ladies listening to us? The life might be difficult today, but should never should never determine your future. You might actually be the answer, not for only for yourself, but for your family as well, for your community. All that you have to do today is to say, what is it that I have? You might have nothing like property, dresses, shoes, but you have your brains. Use your brains. They will determine your future. They will give you that which you might not have today and live a better life. Thank you so much. It really has been a pleasure and privilege having you on our show today to share your life story, some of the important elements that have made you tick and also your your words of inspiration, use your brains. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Transport, Lydia Cindy Chikunga.